you know, Stephen and I are more interested, I think, in evoking strong memories and strong emotions more than being conceptual designers or architects. I mean, our focus is more on sort of the senses. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to the fifth season of Camille's Demi Hour. This is a half-hour show dedicated to sharing the Epicurean life and personal stories from Nantucket and beyond. Cheers. Today, my guest and her husband are the team behind some of the most beautiful interiors of hotels and restaurants from here on Nantucket to around the world. They began their career together in Hollywood designing movie sets and now own and operate an interior and building design firm along with the new Roman and Williams Guild in New York City, an interior design showroom with also an acclaimed restaurant and floral boutique. It is a -a one-of-a-kind space that redefines the art of the shopping experience. Today we're going to learn more about the guilds and the importance of hospitality and their concept of design. We're very lucky to be speaking with the owner of the Roman and Williams Guild in New York City, Robin Standifer. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Camille. So happy to be here. Now, I actually learned of your amazing space in New York City through a good friend of mine named Emily Thompson, um, who has a beautiful Mm -hmm. floral boutique in the space. And uh, I had visited her and saw the space firsthand and was was really blown away by the experience there. But what came full circle was when I discovered that you had actually designed the Graydon House right here on Nantucket. So I'd love to hear more about the Guild, but let's talk just quickly first about how you were introduced to that project on Nantucket. Well, Camille, we were approached by three brothers who owned the property on Nantucket, and they wanted to make an inn or a small hotel that really was like being in a wonderful home. And that is something that I I think Stephen and I and and our practice at Roman and Williams, that's a, a kind of fundamental sort of vision or principle for almost everything we do, you know, making places feel really connected to a really comfortable environment to be able to eat in and cook in and live in. And so being able to make Turn Graydon House this wonderful, it was actually two houses and we moved one of the houses and connected them. And to be able to make a place that was felt like a residential environment on Nantucket, which there's so many incredible houses on Nantucket, and to have a public place that had that same spirit was really exciting to us. We shopped a lot in Nantucket, but Nantucket, and I'm sure your listeners know, I really didn't know, has such an incredible sort of history of trade and of travel. And so we were able to, you know, procure all these different great objects and kind of create a lot of custom objects like the beds in the rooms and and the mural in the bar that evolved into this pretty seamless story of you know, that spoke to Nantucket's kind of history and its industrial past on the seas. And You've done an incredible roster of properties. I'm just going to throw some out there for those who may know them or not. But in New York City specifically, I'd love to begin with the Royalton, which was one of the first places I ever went to when I went to New York City. And But following that, all the beautiful restaurants that are not only beautiful spaces, but the food and the chefs are of the highest caliber, uh, Lafayette and the 
the Dutch and the luxurious Boom Boom Room at the top of the standard, the Ace Hotel and uh, Le Cuckoo. It's a beautiful <laughs> list. How did the guild come to be when you were working on these uh, exterior projects? Did you want a home base for your work? Mm. Is it Was that sort of the next step in your professional path with your with your partner? Well, such such a good question, you know, because, yeah, our practice has been mostly focused on buildings and interiors and a lot of kind of wonderful residences for also a, a, an amazing group of people we feel really blessed by who our clientele is. And we started to expand that, as I kind of said in the beginning, to commercial spaces because we wanted to engage a wider audience, but also to make places that were really comfortable. So how do you kind of create a synergy between a public space, but also has a sense of comfort of a kind of private dining room? Guild is really three categories. It's our furniture and lighting, and then our community. And our community is we have artists from Japan and from Sweden and from Montana and from Mexico. So the whole globe sort of comes together, and that's, I mean, in a way why we called it the Guild is this idea of re, the reinvention of this global Guild, where we kind of assemble all the things we love and all the things we make and all the things we see that people are making that we really are excited by and put them under one roof. Yeah, it's interesting. I looked at the definition of Guild, and it was the Association of Craftsmen or Merchants or uh, People for the Mutual Aid or Pursuit of a Common Goal. And it's fascinating because you talk about having living spaces have meaning. So the Guild was a, a perfect name, it seemed, once you visit the space. We wanted to be able to share the objects and the furniture and the, the amazing finds that we install in so many of our projects. And we wanted to share them with a bigger audience because whether it's these really refined homes we're doing or these restaurants, you still can't buy and own and live with these things yourself. And then it became so clear to us that any amazing environment, home, hotel, had food, had flowers, had things that were alive. And there's a lot of conversation these days about sort of how retail is sort of waning and um, it's really being sort of overtaken by the web. And, and we felt like, well, no, people still want a really human experience and connection where they have tastes and smells and they're able to touch things that they love and they want to take home with them. And so sometimes we call it the guild of the senses. And so it's about that when you come in and Emily's flowers just sort of hit you with all that color and all that fragrance, and then you get to eat. I mean, so many people advised us to not put the restaurant and the flower shop in the front there. said, oh, you need, you know, your core product right in the beginning. And I thought, well, you would never have your living room right <laughs> through your front door. You know, you discover it. And so, again, you know, treating treating the guild like a home and you kind of walk through the garden or this entrance and then into your sort of kitchen and through the dining room and then into this wonderful living space that's also a place you shop, that was our sort of fundamental philosophy. And a lot of people do say to us, oh, it's just like being in your home. And, and one of the amazing sort of um, accidents that happened is the only place we could really have our bathrooms was downstairs. And what that means is 
that the restaurants open till 11 o'clock and so must the store be. And when I tell you the joy that people have where they finish their meal and they take a cocktail or a glass of wine or their dessert and drift through the store and they shop because they're relaxed and often if it's a couple, they're finally together and they have an opportunity to experience the furniture and the objects in a really intimate way. So we kind of wanted to reinvent how you shop for home. Yeah, I mentioned that I think that you are redefining sort of the art of shopping. That, like you said, people think that the retail is sort of dying out. And that was one of the reasons that we, um, I wanted to reach out to you was because I wanted to understand what you thought hospitality meant in design and in the experience mm. and why that restaurant well, was that's so such important. A nice question, I have to tell you. Uh, it is because what hospitality means in design And whether, again, whether that's you creating your most intimate space, your own bedroom, or guest room in a hotel, or a rambling restaurant, or a shop, I think it's about making people feel excited and engaged and comfortable and and also sort of thrilled that you want a sense of discovery. And that sense of discovery is something that we also, is a fundamental of how we create a space, a sense of curiosity. There's something that you keep coming back for, that you keep wanting to investigate and and wanting to feel the sense of joy through all of the elements, through smell, through touch, through through objects. And that means that there needs to be this complexity, this intersection. So that's why we have these, you'll have glasses from Japan, and you'll have dishes from Denmark, and then you'll have vintage flatware from France. But so one of the things that, you know, a lot of brands that launch with a kind of a web-based store tend to focus on only one style of object. I'm so proud to offer them such a variety and pieces from so many places so that that the customer can master the mix. I mean, I really am very a firm believer in growing your collection as opposed to disposing of things that you purchased in the past. And I think that I think that that's one of the things people really gravitate toward because it creates a sense of um, dynamic storytelling to the things they collect, and they always want to come back to see the new things we're doing. You are listening to Robin Standifer. She is the owner and the creator of the Roman and Williams Guild in New York City, a fabulous new shopping experience with floral component, an amazing restaurant with an acclaimed chef, and then this unbelievable space of products that you create, your own collections, as well as collaborating artists that you host and provide some of their beautiful works and sell their their products as well. You also mention the beauty of your work. You also say that you think synthetic things are less sensual and and that nature is really one of your your biggest inspirations. It, It really is because, I mean, we're pretty avid gardeners and we love to cook. Stephen and I say sort of nature has no faults. It's very hard to judge it. And so as a just a, an inspiration of things that are alive and things that change and things that age well. And I, I think there's so much to learn from nature. And so one of the things that we've always done in our project is worked with as many living finishes as possible. And so living finishes became a really key 
sort of components of our pieces for the guild. And when I say that, I mean real woods and, and metal alloys and living materials that age well, that allows you to build well, and that unlike, I mean, it's not, it's not as though a coriander or a plastic is something Stephen and I have never used. We just are so fascinated by how to take a natural material and then to culture it, and how that history of using a very dear and beautiful and special piece of wood and making it into something rare that gives it a second life, how meaningful that is as a concept. I mean, we were finding that we were buying so many, Camille, so many antiques, so many found objects. And we thought, wow, is there not a lot of people making new things? And there are. There's a handful of people that I'm really excited by and devoted to. But there's a big community of designers that primarily shop for pieces from the past. And we wanted to sort of engage in this conversation with the design community you know, we wanted to make these sort of heirlooms of the future. You don't have to be a designer to love design and to understand that if you want to buy something that you feel like you're proud enough of, that you be- believe is made well enough to kind of pass on to your children, what what is what does that take to create? And that's sort of, an, again, I don't know yet if we've achieved it, but that's our goal. <laughs> Well, being an antique flea market person, going with my mother since I was really young, I understand that things that last are part of my DNA, that you want things that last. And even just walking around Brooklyn when I used to live there, the iron gates that would just be meticulously shaped. And you just wonder if people do that do that anymore. And the master builder concept of really understanding every mm. corner of a home and those, those concepts, it's not a mainstream thought. Things are very sort of piecemeal or put together in a rushed manner. But art is something that, that speaks to people. And I think spaces are supposed to make you feel something. And I wanted to share this with you that I feel I'm a bit of a living testament because all of your places I have experienced and remembered. You feel the wood. You feel the light. You you feel the pieces. You look at something and say, where did that come from? You question things, you know, so your mind's working. And that's really telling. So, Oh, I, that's so I, – I really, I really appreciate that. That means so much. And we've just always been very devoted to – Spaces that are evocative, and that's, I mean, I guess I'm very happy to hear that's what you're saying, because objects can talk to you, and objects also can talk to each other, and like a great recipe, you know, you can kind of raise the temperature in a space by a strong devotion to interior architecture that has a point of view, and to objects. In a project like Graydon House, we collected from a dealer on the island all of these pictures that you'll see in kind of behind the bar room that are all sewn. And apparently there was this technique that all these soldiers were kind of sewing these flags as one of their sort of things they did as they were in recovery. You know, and that's such a beautiful story. I was like, oh, these are so beautiful and naive and simple and charming. And then I found out the story that, you know, a a lot of these soldiers had been hurt and they needed something to keep them busy. And they gave them these projects. And they are 
so funny and whimsical and wonderful. And, and I see how people fall in love with spaces and they create memories in them. And that's something that, like, when you brought up the question of beauty, you know, Stephen and I are more interested, I think, in evoking sort of strong memories and strong emotions more than being conceptual designers or architects. I mean, our focus is more on sort of the senses in every space we make. And now with the Guild, not only does the space, I think, do that, but hopefully the objects do can you describe the, the retail space a little bit for those who haven't been there? Um, maybe just a little bit of how it feels. Like one segment in the back is sort of the bedroom almost. It's almost like a home. Well, it's on the corner of Howard and Mercer Street in Soho. The building was built in 1857. And this is a, a, a sort of an amazing fun fact. It was the first department store in New York City. Fascinating. And, um, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln and his wife had, you know, shopping there, and there was a whole fabric floor, and she bought a lot of fabric for her dresses. And so I will tell you that we didn't know this when we initially took the space. I mean, we saw that it was a great piece of architecture and a great location. But when we found this out, we just knew that was it. We had to have it. <laughs> yeah. And it was called the Marble Building. Uh-huh. And it has a beautiful marble facade actually on Canal Street. But it was at one time in New York City a very, really elevated and remarkable and magnificent boulevard. It's funny to think about that being what Canal Isn't Street it? being what when Canal you think Street of is. Canal Street now and its intense kind of grittiness and what it's gone through in the twentieth century and and so that kind of storytelling of how places evolve and kind of reigniting some of the DNA of what that space had been um, was really exciting to us. Great sort of exposed beam ceiling and windows all down the side because it was a department store and it was pre-electricity. Mm. So there was gas light, but you needed to keep to have the daylight coming in. It's very unusual to have a high bank of windows across a whole facade in Lower Soho, wow. almost unheard of. And so we, you come in, and the first experience you have is to this wonderful, pretty, exposed flower shop. So you come into piles and piles of flowers, and then you walk into the flower shop, and right through there, you come to La Mercerie, and La Mercerie is our French Cafe, and Marie Rose, who is the wife of Daniel Rose, who's the chef of Le Cuckoo, who is Parisian. She's a exceptional chef in her own right, and she is our chef, and, you know, received two stars just right out of the gate with the New York Times, and just has done an incredible job. And it really is like her kitchen. Like, you see her cooking right there, and and then you go through this big arch, and I see this arch. We created this arch as this sort of massive threshold to the shop. And so I would say the first 50% of the space is the restaurant and the flower store. And then you go through this arch, and you're in the guild. And you're at this long 12-foot farm table piled with beautiful dishware. and So you can purchase almost anything that's served on the food in the restaurant, which is so fun. Anything. So oh, fun. I could tell you about that. Yeah, there's, Everything there's is... a little thing called Shop the Menu, which yeah. I love. 
and there's illustrations for every single, almost like a Chinese menu, but every single dish. And so you, when you're eating off of something, you can buy it, and people do it all yeah. the time. Yeah, I believe it. You get to actually touch it. If you drink out of a mug, Camille, and you're like, oh, uh, that tasted so good, and that felt so good on my, my lips, hand. yeah, in your hand. I know you don't yeah. always get to experience. You want it. I felt like that. I bought glasses for a big holiday or an event, and I'm like, oh, I just really want to truly test it. Right. And it's just, you know, you go into a, a, a home goods store, specifically tabletop, and, you know, you don't know how the fork feels on the plate. You don't know how the glass is going to feel on your lips. And you know, we take for granted that we all shop like that all the time. Oh, right. But you, you know, people rarely shop for a dress and don't try it on. Exactly. I was going to say you can put clothes on, but you can't put a fork to, to your mouth. I really felt like, again, that was something that was strangely, and I mean, this is reinventing retail because it's, it's really something that should be, you should be able to do. You wouldn't buy a ring and not look at it or try it on. This goes for almost anything apparel or jewelry related. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening, everybody. You are hearing the voice of Robin Standifer. She is the owner and founder of the Roman and Williams Guild in New York City. And she's just describing the amazing experience and the art of shopping in her store. And we were also discussing her sense of design and style and beauty within their projects. And one thing also that I want to say before the end of the show, you've been quoted also to say that you take things that are already established on Earth and then you rediscover them as people living right now. That is what's modern for for us, for you, and Mm -hmm. how you design. And I do want to say that there is a beautiful homage to space in your work. You look at history and you, like you say, you learn from it and you adapt to it. Every space is really both beautiful and practical, truly. I'd love to comment on what you just said because I think it's so it's so thoughtful and and so relevant to everything we do and i think that you know when we sort of really started our practice and i think to some degree this is to a large degree still true in a lot of the industry there's one side and another side so here there were really traditionalists and modernists and we felt we had a kind of such a a a a curious appetite that we felt there was an opportunity to find a way to be both, to find a way to create this hybrid where you didn't have to reject one to embrace the other. Mm. And I think that that has been our kind of guiding principle in in every space we make and everything we do. Yeah, there's no question there's beauty from the past. Why bury it? Yeah, why, exactly. why Why build over it? Like you said, I mean, you stripped down those buildings and you saw the beauty underneath it. Things were built in a, to last back then, more maybe more so than now. But it's been a total delight talking to you. You really are at the top of your game, no question, with the National Design Award for Excellence in Interior Design. You've been mentioned as one of, in Wall Street Journal's magazine's uh, 2017 Class of Innovators. The list goes on and on for some of the awards that you've done, James Beard as well. Uh, So I want to congratulate you and thank you for contributing and adding some beauty to this island. Oh, Camille, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Camille's Demi Hour. This was the last show of the season. If you would like to listen to this show or former shows, you can find me on iTunes. Have an awesome rest of your fall and winter, and I look forward to next spring season of Camille's Demi Hour.
And one last note, the Nantucket Grown Food Festival, which celebrates the bounty of Nantucket's harvests and local food scene. The weekend kicks off by celebrating Nantucket's cultural diversity at the opening reception on Friday, October 18th at 6 p.m. at the Nantucket Yacht Club. The following day on Saturday, there will be activities spread across the island for adults and children alike. The festival will close with a brunch throwdown at the proprietor's bar and table on Sunday. You can purchase tickets and learn more about all these events and more about the festival on sustainablenantucket.org. You can also purchase tickets by calling 508-228-3399. Enjoy the season and the bounty of Nantucket.